Hey, welcome to Father in Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Thank you so much for being with me today. I want to talk to you and remind you today that if you are a dad, you will always be a dad. You will always be a dad. Now, being a dad is going to change. It's going to manifest itself in different ways. Opportunities are going to look a lot different. But you will still always be a dad. I started thinking about this because my wife and kids are in Ohio, and they've been there for three weeks, which in hindsight is entirely too long because I miss them to pieces, and I feel a little bit devoid of purpose um, when they're not here at the house with me. Uh, Not being able to see them for that long in person is kind of a challenge. I can't even imagine what it's like for people who actually uh, join the military and then they're gone for years at a time. Um, I don't know how you do it because three weeks has been much too much for me, but they're in Ohio and I drove them up there and we took a two-day road trip to make it there and we unloaded everything at my mother-in-law's house. And the next morning we went and we had breakfast with one of my wife's aunts. Then we went back to her house because she takes care of my wife's grandmother. So uh, the kids got to meet her, see her. And while we were there, one, I was exhausted from the drive and I was about to have to hop onto a flight that was getting canceled and moved. And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be a ton of fun getting home. But uh, that's beside the point. My wife and my aunt were having a conversation and my aunt brought up Uh, one of her sisters, and she was talking about a conversation that they had on the phone, and she was crying. She was having a hard time because she felt like her life was essentially over, that her purpose in this life was complete. It was done, and therefore, she didn't know what to do. She was sad, and for her, that purpose was being a mom. Her kids were old. They were grown up. They were out of the house. They were no longer dependent upon her. They didn't need her to make their meals. They didn't need her to give them any sort of money to go out and do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't need her for anything. They were independent individuals. And she was having a hard time with that. And as my wife and my uh, and her aunt as they discussed that, I thought about it and I thought, you know what? This is this is something that is definitely applicable to men too to dads, because, I mean, we have the same emotions. I I know for myself personally, I became a dad and I got more emotional. Like there's certain things that I watch now and they're more of a tearjerker than they ever were. Growing up, I was not emotional. I did not cry. I did not express emotion. I mean, still emotion is not the easiest thing for me to do. I'm still, for lack of a better term, just kind of a tough cookie, but, um, I'm definitely more emotional now than I was, and I understand that when you become a father, things change. There's something special about it. I mean, being a dad, I've said this before, I think it's the greatest thing, that it's the most fulfilling thing that I've ever been privileged to do, and I love being a dad, and that's why I want to be a better dad for my kids every single day. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better role model and a better example for my kids. I love my kids. And I know that I have a high calling and responsibility as a dad, and so I want to fulfill that. I want to do the best that I can do as a dad for my kids. And when you invest so much 
of your life for these people, for these kids, there's a connection. I mean, there's naturally a connection because they're yours. And for me, that's just like staring grace in the face because I I know that I've messed up immensely in this life and I don't deserve anything good. But then you have that moment where you hold that child and you see their face and you think, this is perfection. How did this come from me in any way? Um, it's unique. It's a great experience, but it's one that I definitely felt inadequate about. I, I didn't feel like I deserved that experience, that I deserved the kids that I have. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I had done enough. And um, while it is difficult sometimes to do that, to take in that experience, to take in that thing that you feel you do not deserve, that's what grace is. That's why grace is such a beautiful thing. But I know that dads will struggle with this. I I imagine that one of the hardest things for a parent, for a dad, to do is to give his daughter away at a wedding. For whatever reason, our culture has really uh, made a big spectacle of that, so that there's a specific part in the wedding where the father literally hands his daughter away to someone else. And that's the way it works. I mean, even the Bible tells us that uh, a man or a woman, they'll leave their father and their mother so that they can start their own family, so that they can become one flesh, so that they can move on and become their own little tribe. That's how it works, and that leaving part is a little difficult. And being a dad is going to change. It's going to look a lot different. Now, as I sat and I thought about this, I realized this happens throughout the entire time you are a dad, but the reality is is we often don't see it because of the busyness of life. So I think about it with, with my family. I'm a dad of three under the age of five. Um, so yeah, we have fun. We have our hands full. Um but I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I I realized that my son, Frankie, who is approaching five years old, I don't get to treat him like I did when he was a baby. I don't get to hold him anymore. I don't get to just pick him up and take him wherever I want to go because, you know, either I have to take care of him or I, most of the times I want it to have him with me. I don't get to do that with him. I don't really get to do that with Reagan either. She's almost three. She still asks to be held at particular times. If she's tired and she doesn't want to walk up the stairs, she wants daddy to hold her. Um, She's kind of a mama's girl at this point, though, so maybe Amelia will be mine. We'll see. But, you know, Amelia, she's eight months at this point, almost nine months. So um, we get to hold her. We we get to do things with her. She's not yet crawling. She kind of does the, the little butt scoot, which is really funny. She's figured out how to clap. She's figured out how to whistle, which is really interesting. I FaceTimed with my wife yesterday, and if I whistled, JoJo would whistle back, and it was <laughs> it was kind of unique. None of the other kids ever did that. Uh, so it's it's just funny how there's differences between all of them. But the reality is, is that the way that I parent, the way that I father Frankie is much different than it was than when he was a baby. Although I may look at him and still see that one-year-old, two-year-old little guy, that's not the case anymore. He's nearly five. 
If I ask him to do particular things, he's got a choice now, and he understands that he has a choice. If he's playing with toys and that's what he wants to do, and I say, hey, do you want to go do this? He has the ability to say yes or to say no, and we honor that. We honor that choice, but, you know, he understands more. I text my wife the other day, and I said, because we were talking about Frankie, because he's literally the most independent individual on the planet. He thinks that he is invincible. I mean, he, it's, it's funny, but it's also a little concerning. He thinks that he can just go out and do anything, and if bad people try and get him, he will fight them. And that is what he says. Uh, he thinks that he can, he thinks he can take anybody. He can take on the world, and he's four. So uh, I'm looking forward to what life's going to look like with him as he gets older. But um, I, I text and I, I said, you know, he's just at a point where he understands enough to be dangerous. He understands enough to be a big concern for us. So the way that we have to parent, the way that I have to father Frankie is a lot different than it was when he was a baby. Now, I only recognize this because I've taken the time to stop and to realize, hey, this is different. This is not the same as it was. Now, I imagine that becomes blatantly obvious when your kids get to the age and they move out of the house. They move on with their life. They go off to college. They find uh, a husband or a wife, and they get married, and they begin their own family, and then they have their own kids. And sometimes you get, I I'm going to say lucky, your kids, you know, they move out, but they stay within the same proximity of you. And then maybe sometimes you don't. Maybe your kids get married and they move all the way across the country and you don't get to see them near as much. I imagine that it's difficult either way. I imagine that the greater the distance, the greater the difficulty. But even with all of these changes, even with the moves, even with the marriages, even with kids going off to college, even with independence really settling in with your kids, you still have the opportunity to be a dad. You will always have the calling on your life to be a dad. That purpose, that mission of being a dad is never revoked. It never goes away, even under the most extreme circumstances. And I pray that this happens to no one, although I realize it is a tragic reality. Even if your child was to die, you still remain a dad. You still remain the advocate of that child, that when you're able to get through the grieving process, you have the opportunity to bring up the memory of that child to people at get-togethers, to people at family reunions. Just You have the opportunity to recall a time or a memory where that child did something that was humorous or that was just disastrous. I mean, you still are dad in the sense of you get to you get to carry on that life, if you will. Now, I am not in that I'm not in that situation, so I'm not going to speak much to it because I, I realize that until you go through something, sometimes you can't really fully understand. I can speak from, from what I would like to try and do if I were in that situation, but I'm not going to talk about that because I, I pray I never actually have to deal with that sort of a situation with losing a child. I can't imagine how difficult that would be, but the point that I want to make is that regardless of your circumstance, you are always a dad, and you always have the opportunity to be a dad, even though that will manifest itself in different ways. So I have been kind of out of commission, out of pocket the last couple of weeks because I had COVID. 
I contracted COVID. My parents also contracted COVID. I'm pretty sure I got it from my dad since I work with him. And I'll just go and tell you, it was the sickest that I've ever been. I'm still in the process of getting back to normal, if you will, as far as weakness. Um, that's something I'm still trying to overcome. I mean, I, I walked up the stairs and I'm doing this podcast and it's like, I can't stop sweating. It's gross as that is. And I'm trying to make it <laughs> as, uh, I, I'm trying to not make it super obvious, but I don't want to just drip all over this table that I'm sitting at. So you're going to have to deal with that. But here's confessions of someone trying to do something, uh, that's supposed to look aesthetically pleasing. So, um, yeah, it was tough. It was really difficult. I had fever that reached over 103 degrees. I had chills associated with that. And the higher the fever, the worse the chills. I had body aches, which I didn't even realize was a thing. Essentially, if I sat down for too long in the same position, if I laid down too long in the same position, I would have these like sore knots that would just begin to form in particular places in my body, which that was that was horrible. So that that kept me from being able to sleep. I, for about 10 days, I did not sleep through a night. I woke up constantly. It was like if, if I could make it to like a particular landmark, like 1.30 in the morning, that was like my beacon of hope. Like, okay, I, I'm almost I'm almost to a point where I can actually get up and maybe go about my day. And the first couple of days weren't too bad, but days three through five were horrible. And day six was a little bit better. Day seven wasn't all that bad. And everyone told me this will last seven to 10 days. So I thought I made it to day seven. I'm at the downhill slope right now. No, day eight was pretty tragic. Um, it, it was just, it, it didn't get better for me. And it was definitely the sickest that I've ever been. So I'm dealing with all of that. And selfishly, I really wish that my wife had been home to help take care of me because doing Trying to go about that all by myself was no fun because I still had responsibility that I had to take care of at the house. We have two dogs and a cat, so the cat is very needy when it comes to eating, and the dogs have to go outside because I you know, I was not going to allow the home to become uh, potty place number two. So, yeah, that was really fun. I didn't really have the strength to do it, but I kind of had to push through. And I know it sounds pathetic, like you had to push through to let your dogs outside and to feed a cat. Yeah, it was that bad. I mean, it really it really sucked. Um, I ended up getting this antibody infusion uh, on the evening of day eight. And my sister was in the process of dropping off, uh, I think, a smoothie at this point. So I survived on a couple of smoothies and mostly Gatorade and water. I couldn't smell or taste, so I didn't want to eat and I lost 17 pounds. I guess that is the silver lining. I have no intent on trying to find that 17 pounds. So uh, hopefully it stays away. But yeah, so my sister was dropping off a smoothie for me while my dad was picking me up to take me to the infusion. And we had lunch yesterday. So we talked and laughed about a little bit of this. But uh, she was like, I literally thought he was just a dead body in, in dad's truck. I mean, that's what I looked like. I mean, it was bad. When I, when I say it was bad, I don't ever, I don't ever get sick. So when I got sick like this, I was just, I was not prepared for it, and um, it knocked me on my butt. It sucked. It was, it was pretty bad. But anyway, this bout with COVID that I had, uh, it gave me, it gave my dad the opportunity to be dad in a different way. So when I actually got the infusion, when I made the decision with my wife that this is what we were going to go and do. Um, she was in Ohio. She did all the registration for me, even though she was, you know, a thousand miles away, she was still incredibly helpful. I love her to death. 
Um, she's the best wife of all time. So that was super helpful. Uh, my sister did all sorts of stuff, driving back and forth between my house and my parents' house to help bring us some stuff. My parents even had some deliveries sent over here. It was super helpful. It's definitely something that I could have not, I could not have got through by myself, but I'm glad I had a little circuit of family to get me through it. So my dad, I text my dad and I said, hey, I'm going to get this infusion because they had had it done a couple days before I made the decision to do it myself. So I thought he should be strong enough to drive me. So I texted him and asked if he could. And he said yes, without question. And he showed up and he helped me best he could. My mom had recommended that after the infusion, I stay with them, but I hadn't quite made up my mind on that. I thought if I get this infusion, I'm going to feel better. So if I've made it this far, I, I should be fine. So I get the infusion done and I could have sworn I fell asleep for 20 or 30 minutes after everything because they keep you there for an hour to make sure you don't have some sort of reaction to uh, the infusion. And um, uh, I text my dad like 30 minutes before I was supposed to get, you know, released. And he was he was there right on time. I'd never had to wait for anyone. Um, and waiting would have been horrible because I just didn't have the strength to do anything at that point. But I told him that uh, I would go home and stay at home because I, I thought I slept a little bit. So I assumed that if I hit the bed, I would be able to sleep no problem. So it gets me home, uh, and I immediately try and go to bed. And I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent to tell you some of the horror stories of trying to sleep. So uh, I was watching a lot of Psych. I, it's a it's a great show. If you've never seen it, you should watch it. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's very funny. And my wife got me hooked on it when we got married. I've probably seen it start to finish 30 to 40 times. Well, when you feel like I felt you don't want to watch something new because you don't really have the strength. I mean, there were moments where I couldn't even like hold my phone up to look at my phone. I mean, it was that bad. So I would just turn Psych on just to have some noise in the house. And so I was watching Psych constantly. Well, one night in particular, I went to bed. It's probably 9.30 maybe. I'm trying to get to bed at this point. And from 9.30 to probably 12.30 in the morning, I wake up probably 12 or 13 times. And every time I fell asleep, I had this Psych-themed dream where Sean and Gus would solve this meaningless crime that they couldn't pin to everything, but they would just solve some case and there was no uh, there was no culprit or anything like that. Well, finally, there's this great denouement where everything you know fits together, this climactic moment where every piece of the puzzle finally comes together and they figure it all out. And by that point, these dreams are the only thing that I have that I know is allowing me to sleep. But at that point, it's like every time I dozed off, that's what my mind was preoccupied with. I haven't turned psych on since then. I mean, it was it was just aggravating. Well, I get back from the infusion, and at this point, I don't know if it was a dream or if it was a hallucination. Somehow, some way, someone who I can't identify had convinced me that all the pillows in our bed, which I sleep with one, but my wife sleeps with like 17 all the pillows in our bed were single-sided. And what I mean by that, what I understood by that, was I was trying to go to bed on my right side, 
which the other tragic thing was, and this is weird, but the only way I could get any sleep was if I had an ice pack on my head. Well, the ice would melt and I'd have to get up and refill it. That was horrible, but I don't think I had an ice pack this night. I, I, I don't remember. Anyway, someone had to convince me that the pillows in the bed were single-sided. So while I wanted to sleep on my right side, all the pillows that we had were only, only permitted for people to sleep on their left side. It was so weird, but I ended up kicking pillows out of the bed, throwing pillows out of the bed because I believed it. Uh, I mean, I was I was that out of it. So at this point, I text my dad, and I said, because because I knew every every morning I woke up where I didn't sleep was just agonizing misery. It was horrible. Uh, I'm just sitting in a recliner once I could finally get there, and I'm literally just like moving my head side to side in misery because I just wanted a little bit of sleep. I had no strength. I had no food in my body, which made things worse. One morning, I actually got up at like 3.30 and tried to make a scrambled egg, and I didn't scramble it all the way, and it tasted god-awful, but it actually allowed me to get a little bit of rest that particular night because I finally got food in my system. Um, it was it was just a horrible experience anyway. So I text my dad at 2.30 in the morning after the mystery man had convinced me that my pillows weren't going to allow me to sleep. And I said, I still can't sleep. Whenever you wake up, please come get me. That was at 2.30. My dad is there at 3.15. Now, I was expecting him to show up between probably 6 and 7. No, he was there at 3.15. He comes inside the house. He starts to pack a little bag. He pulls Gatorade out of the fridge that I had, which I was surviving off of, uh, thanks to my sister. And he packs up some of my, med- my medication. Uh, I slowly creep out of bed. I put some shorts on, put on a shirt, put on some flip-flops, and I told him, I said, I might need some help getting to the truck. Now, Back in the day when I was a kid, had I said something like that, he probably would have picked me up and carried me out to the truck. But being a father for him is a little different now than it was then. So he still had the opportunity to be dad. He had the opportunity to be there for me, but he understood that the opportunity looks a little different and plays out a little different. But he was still there for me. He was still dad when I needed him. He stood by my side of the bed. He didn't help me up. He let me get up, he let me stand up, and he was just there. He never grabbed a hold of me, but he was just there. In the event that I would have lost my footing or fallen down, he'd have been there to possibly catch me, at least to help me back up. And it was a different moment for him, but it was a moment that he still got to be a part of, where he still got to be dad. So I get to their house uh, the next day. I think I tried to eat. I told them, I need to try and eat. Can somebody make me an egg? So my mom finally made an egg. My dad came into the room and literally, I mean, I was so weak. I I probably for 45 minutes tried to conjure up the strength to be able to sit up in the bed so that I could eat this egg. My dad stood there for a while, and then he sat there for a while, and then he finally said, he said, let me come back in just a little bit. And when we had lunch yesterday, it was really funny, because you then hear it from his perspective. He said, you know, 
he kept telling me to hold on because, you know, he thought he was getting ready to sit up. He said, and I'm sitting there holding this plate of egg, literally dying myself. <laughs> but I'm holding on because he thinks that at any second, he'll be able to get up and eat this egg. And he even offered to help, like, feed the egg to me. And I was like, no, you don't You don't have to do that. That's 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 extreme. I wanted someone to do that, but I was like, no, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down to this level. I, I'm not, I'm not at that point. Um, maybe that was just pride. I don't know, but still he offered to do that. He offered to help in that way. And um, while it was all unique, he helped me as his son. He was dad to me in a way that he will probably never get to be again. I hope that I'm never that sick where he has to be that way. But I mean, he drove back and forth between his house and mine to help take care of my animals and uh, just any little responsibility that I had. He would come over here and he would take care of it. Even on day 11, when I finally was like, okay, I think I'm coming out of this mess. Let me go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay home. And that was the first night I actually slept, which I'll tell you about that in just a second. But uh, even when that happened, I mean, he he paid someone to come over and cut the grass because he knew that I wouldn't have the strength to do it. I'm like, you didn't have to do that, but he did it anyway because he wanted to help. He wanted to be dad. And it looks a lot different for him, but he still had the opportunity and he still took advantage of it. Um, and then the first night that I was here by myself, I actually slept and I went to bed about 10. I woke up at 10.30, so I got a good solid 12 hours of sleep well, I checked my phone. I have a couple of missed calls and three texts from my dad. And I texted him back and I was like, I'm awake. Well, he was already in my neighborhood at that point and ended up bringing me something and stopping by the house to just chat. But uh, I guess he had heard of instances where some young people had contracted COVID and thought they were doing better and went to bed and their oxygen dropped while they were asleep. And then they died. People as young as 25 is what he told me he heard. So he was concerned that I had fallen asleep and that I had stayed asleep, if you will. And I mean, the fact that he came over and just checked on me, even my mom told me last, uh, yesterday at lunch that after, after the first day he got me home, he told my mom, he's like, if he doesn't get any better, I'm going to take him to the hospital. I mean, there was still concern. There was still this desire to help and to see that I get better and to provide and to assist in any way that he and my mother could. My dad had the opportunity to be dad in a very unique way, and when presented with the opportunity, he took it. And I know it was different for him than what it probably looked like when I was a little man, but it didn't phase him. It didn't bother him. It was just, he is dad. He understands that he's dad, and he has the opportunity to be dad, so he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. Dads out there, I, I know that life changes. I know that it feels like time flies, and the reality is time just never stops. It just keeps moving, and opportunities come, and opportunities go, and you don't get them back, but it always... Time always presents new opportunities. There's always that silver lining in the process to where maybe you missed something, but something new will come. I know that that's going to be change, and I know that it's going to be difficult. I know that I'm in for a life of change because I've got three under five, and 
I'm going to do my best to be intentional and mindful about everything and understand that being a dad to my kids is going to look different as the years go by. For those of you who are already uh, empty nesters and your kids are grown and moved on and they have families of their own, I know it probably looks a lot different for you, and at some point I'll be there, but one thing that I will hold on to, one thing that I will recognize that I want to remind you of today is that you will always be a dad. I will always be a dad, and that's going to look different. That's going to manifest itself in different ways. But the calling of a dad never goes away. When you're made a dad, you will always be a dad. So take advantage of that. Remember that and strive to be a better dad every single day. Maybe being a dad for you at this point is just making a daily phone call, weekly phone call, just to tag in and see how your kids are doing. Maybe that's what being a dad looks like for you. Maybe you're, you know, dealing with an adolescent who thinks that they've got it all figured out. I remember for me, it was like between the ages of probably 12 and 14, I thought I could take over the world. Like I had it all figured out. And it only got worse as I got older up to about 20. Um, And then at some point I had this really good experience where I thought, I don't know squat. (laughs) Uh, And so that was, that was a good moment for me. But, um. Yeah, maybe you're maybe you're at the point where your kids are, you know, 16, 18 years old and they think they've got it all figured out and maybe they don't really come to you for a lot because you know they've got the world on a string and you know everything is hunky dory. They've got it all figured out. Maybe maybe that's where you're at. Just keep an eye out for the opportunity where you can actually speak into their life. Just keep being that role model. Stay consistent. Be something positive that they can see in the world because there's not always that much for them to look at. The positive isn't always what's promoted. But you have the opportunity every single day to be that role model, to be that positive icon that they can see and look to. Being a dad looks different. Being a dad is going to look different with time. But remember that you are always going to be a dad. So why not strive to be a better dad every single day? Thanks for being with me today. This is Father in Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you'll join me next time.